Side Hustle Show 164, marketing and growing a freelance side hustle to 4K a month in six months. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's happening, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show. We're talking about ideas, action, and results toward building job-free income streams. Now, one of the fastest ways to begin earning job-free income is starting and growing a freelance side business to uh, to potentially replace your salary. Now, today's guest is Gina Horky, who began earning uh, four grand a month uh, just six months after starting her side business, which is in the freelance writing space. Now, on this episode, you're going to hear exactly how she got that done, how she quit her job, and how she's grown grown. Uh, well beyond that today. Now, she actually comes highly recommended as a guest. Several listeners have reached out and said, uh, Nick, you got to get this, uh, you got to get Gina on the show. And so, and so here she is. So um, I've seen, I've seen Gina's work seemingly like all over the interwebs for the past uh, year or two years. And she's got some really juicy tactics to share on landing your first clients, pricing your services, growing your business, and also uh, turning your service-based business into a more product-based, more time-leveraged, more passive income stream. So I think you're really going to like that. Now, we heard an interesting way to get that done from Matt uh, Boknock a couple weeks ago uh, with his uh, motorcycle repair business. Gina's got uh, a different approach that has worked out very well for her so far, so stay tuned for that. You can, uh, as always, you can download a free highlight reel with all of Gina's top tips from this call at Side hustlenation.com slash Gina. That's G-I-N-A. And uh, you can learn more about Gina's work at horkyhandbook.com. Of course, we'll link that up in the show notes as well at sidehustlenation.com slash Gina. All right, let's get her on the line. I was a personal financial advisor and a support person to a large financial planning practice. It was something that I just wasn't fully in love with and didn't necessarily want to do for the rest of my life. And being that I was 30 at the time, I was looking at 30 more years of doing something that I didn't really like. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll finally give myself permission to look at alternatives. And I'd been doing it almost a decade already. So start there. And it was actually tax day of 2014. And I started Googling around and I came across freelance writing for the web, nonfiction writing. I had no idea that was a viable career option. And I dug in a little further and a little further, and turns out it was something you can make a living at. Oh, that's great. Have you done any writing uh, up to that point? I have a couple of dead manuscripts on the fiction side. (laughs) Um, And that was more like hobby, right? I didn't think that I was necessarily going to make it big as a fiction author, but I've always enjoyed writing. I've always gotten complimented on my writing. I do not have a journalism degree. My degree is actually in psychology, which comes in handy in all sorts of ways. So, but you said, hey, you you stumbled upon (laughs) this freelance writing opportunity. You said, I can do that. Yeah. I said, why not me? Why not now? And I just figured out what I needed to know in order to start applying for jobs and setting up my own website and blog and a hire me page and started putting myself out there. Yeah, what happened? What happened next? Well, I hustled a little bit. Um, <laughs> one of the things I think that I did well that I teach other people to do is tell you have 
a full roster of clients, your main job is really to be marketing. And a lot of people keep themselves busy with perfecting a website or, you know, getting business cards or headshots or all of these seemingly business activities that really aren't important if you don't have any clients. Right. So I think spending 80 to 90% of your time in the beginning, prospecting, marketing, finding yourself some leads to pitch is really your job until you have enough clients paying your bills. Tell me about your first customer or your first, your first gig that you landed. Yeah, I think my first gig was ghostwriting WordPress theme descriptions, which is hilarious because I'm, uh, I call myself tech illiterate. I barely knew what a WordPress theme was, but I learned. And part of it was like copywriting and part of it was doing some research. And, you know, it was a great experience because it wasn't something that was from my background that I was experienced in or was an expert in. Yet I was able to use skills that I had from a research and a writing standpoint to do the job and then get more work from that same client. Cool. How did you uh, connect with that client? You know, I started searching job boards. I did the free job board route for a while and then I uh, ponied up, I don't know, I think it was like 20 bucks a month when I first started for a monthly paid job uh, source because I didn't have a ton of time. I was working full time. I had a baby under one. Our son was probably two and a half at the time. And I was trying to build this career on the side of my full time job. And so I figured paying for a subscription made more sense than me wasting my time going around, you know, the internet trying to figure out where to apply for jobs. And a lot of freelance writers, especially those that have been very successful and have large followings and platforms, would not recommend the job board approach. But I had success there getting started. And probably 90% of my clients in the beginning came from that one method. I've since moved on from it, but it helped me to get started. What, um, so are there any free ones that you like? And then what was the paid one that you ended up signing up for? Paid to blog jobs was the paid one that I did. Um, now I recommend Contenta. Pro, they're doing a really good job. Pro Blogger and Journalism Jobs are a couple of free sources as well as various Craigslist cities. Looking in your area, actually, in the like the Bay Area or San Francisco, Manhattan, Chicago, some of those Craigslist cities have more offerings and are looking for writers. Of course, you have to be careful because there are scam artists out there. And I always tell people to, you know, go with your gut. If you sense red flags, then it might be too good to be true. Did you ever do any bidding on uh, Elance or, or Odesk at that time? Yeah, it was Elance when I was on there, and I did. The only reason I ever got on there is I met somebody from a Facebook group, and she wanted to work that way from like a payment protection method. And I said, well, you know, it's one of my first gigs. I'm not going to say no. So I set up a profile. We did our work through there, and she paid me through there. And then because of the profile being set up, I looked for a few jobs on there and maybe applied for a few, but I didn't do a lot with it because there weren't a lot that I was interested in. Plus the competition is really high. There's just a ton of people and you'll see that there's like 40 proposals being submitted to one job. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can still score gigs. People have been successful doing that. But what was cool is that I started getting invited to apply for jobs. And so I had one that was really lucrative. I think I made like 1200 or two grand in a month writing these job descriptions for this app that this person was building. And then another one I got invited to apply for, um, and it was writing a memoir. And I didn't end up getting it. But it was very fun because it was, he chose me partially because I was in Minnesota and that's where he was. And he's a prominent like real estate developer and entrepreneur. And he wanted to be able to tell 
kind of his business story because he came from nothing and he built up this great empire to his family, especially as he was leaving a legacy and if he passed away and leaving money and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, I got to meet him in person and I got to interview. And even though he didn't select me, like I said, he went with his friend. He did send me a check in the mail, like for my time. And I thought that that was just so nice. This was obviously not intentional, but I think that's kind of an interesting like workaround hack of like, hey, I would actually prefer you uh, hire me through Elance because, you know, I'm protected as a freelancer that way and you're protected as a client. And that gets applied towards your portfolio. And now all of a sudden other people who say, hey, this person looks like she has great ratings and this feedback history and, you know, she's done some work on this platform. I'm going to invite her to apply for my job. So you're setting yourself up, jumpstarting your, your profile there. Yeah, it was it happened to me by accident. You definitely could do it a little bit more on purpose. Kind of negative or flip side of that is that obviously Elance or Upwork is taking a cut of your fee. So you have to either pad that in or just realize that you're making that investment in the future. You know, this, this WordPress theme guy, he, he didn't seem to care. Like, hey, you've never written about WordPress before. Like, did you ask for any writing samples? Like, how did, the, how did that hiring uh, conversation go? Yep. I was actually a sub for him. So it was his client. He was a freelance writer and then he hired me to do it. And so it was a good experience because I got some mentorship uh, and feedback as well throughout the process. But he wanted a quality writer above all else. And we were able to figure it out. How did you figure out how much to charge at that point? So that one I didn't have to because he just had a rate that he was offering. So I didn't get to negotiate for it. But rates in general is really interesting, right? Like what are market rates and how come they vary so much? People are making a dollar per a thousand words and other people are making a dollar per word. Mm-hmm. And when I first started, and this is something that I teach in my course, I think it's easiest to kind of figure out, you know, what makes it worth it for you. So it's very much estimation in the beginning and almost an experiment because you might not know how fast you are at writing, how much research is going to be involved, how much back and forth between you and the client uh, with feedback and changes and stuff. But if you can make a ballpark guesstimate on what it would take you to write a piece in an hour or a couple hours, then I would go with what your hourly rate would need to be to make it worth it for you. And that should be ideally at least 25% higher than what you're making in corporate America, if that's where you're at, because you have to remember you have to pay self-employment taxes and you're not going to have any benefits and all that good stuff as well. And then from there, you know, so I came up with, I think, $50 an hour in the beginning. And then from there, it was just my challenge to be able to continue to go upstream, find better paying clients. And so right now, my minimum uh, fee for a blog post is $250, which is obviously a little bit different than that. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S.com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. 
When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Any words of advice for people, you know, to get these to get this initial traction, like on these jobs boards to get attention from clients and kind of make your uh, your pitch or your application stand out? You can also do something called cold pitching where you're researching companies, uh, blogs, sites individually and asking them to hire you or consider adding a writer to their team. So that's a way to decrease your competition, by the way. In either scenario, I think, you know, if you know who the company is doing a little bit of research about them, authentically comp- complimenting them and making some kind of connection in the beginning is way better than saying, hi, my name is Gina and I am a psychology grad with this experience in writing all about me, 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 me versus, you know, starting off making some kind of connection with, hey, you know, I hopped over to your blog from Pinterest and I read this article and really connected with it because of X, Y, and Z reason. And then going into more of a pitch or here's why you should consider hiring me or bringing me on your team. Gosh, it sounds so basic, but I would probably not even think to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had um, Kevin Fleming. So he's one of the co-founders from Contenta, which is that other job board company that I mentioned earlier. And we were having a conversation on Blab and talking about subject lines and that kind of thing. And his top suggestion was the word hey. So using H-E-Y in a subject line, it increases open rates. And he had his own experience with using that uh, and getting like high level entrepreneurs to open emails and stuff like that. So that was kind of interesting. You could try out the word hey. This is for doing cold pitches. Yeah, you don't want to probably do that for a job board ad. Did this cold pitching strategy work for you? Did you have like a a particular industry you were trying to go after? Yeah. So my niche is personal finance based on my background and my career, uh, former career anyways. And so one of the blog posts I think that's most valuable on my site right now is uh, how I would go about pitching if I were to do it again today because I'm not actively looking for clients, right? I'm kind of hit that sweet spot where I have my client list and then people will reach out to me just randomly and have more incoming leads than having to go out and market myself. But in this post, I literally did a case study and I went through the actions and screenshotted everything on, on how I would go about finding clients. And basically, startups are a really great niche. The downside is that you don't know if they're going to be around long term, but you don't know about that for all of your clients, right? But the upside is that typically they need content, they're hip to marketing, and um, they're hungry to get their name out there. And so you can literally do a Google search about financial startups. And then there's usually some roundup posts 
that come to the top. And then you can look at the individual company profiles and figure out which one seems like somebody that you'd want to do some writing for. So in this pitch, that's exactly what I did. I clicked on a roundup pitch or post, and then I found a company that kind of struck my fancy. And then I reached out and I did a cold email pitch and he got back to me right away. And we didn't end up working together, but I mean, I pitched one person and got a reply. So I think that that's a pretty good kind of conversion rate, if you will. Yeah, you wouldn't expect to have, a, you know, to be batting a thousand on those pitches anyways. But that's a really interesting tactic to go about, like looking for startups, especially funded startups. Hey, you got money to burn? Yeah. And in, in your particular area of interest, say, I can help you. As you know, content marketing is, is the wave of the future. I can help you create some killer content. Exactly. So now the business is relying uh, primarily on word of mouth. Sounds like you're in a pretty comfortable uh, place there. Any other, con- like, how long did it take to get to that level? Well, I diversified it from the beginning. So I started looking into freelance writing because that was the first thing that I kind of came across and was interested in. And I took on some freelance writing clients. And then I was open to that virtual assistant work as well. Did a little research on, you know, what a VA did and knew that I could leverage my background as a support person in my previous career as well or current career at that time. Came across a webpreneur that I was following that seemed to want to get back to people via email, but had a really hard time doing. And I noticed from our exchanges that he seemed to really care about it. It just wasn't something he was able to kind of like fit into his schedule. And so I cold pitched him and said, Hey, if you need somebody, you know, this is something that I could do for you. And he said, sounds good. And then we started having a conversation, fleshed it out, had a trial period and kind of the rest is history. We've been working together for like a year and a half now. Taking him on as a client was uh, gave me the confidence to put in my notice at work because I knew I had X dollars in predictable income as well as the freelance writing side of the business. So I quit my job at the end of December in 2014. I also launched my first course that month, took on some more clients, both on the writing and the VA side, and have been continuing to kind of build out a diversified business. Yeah, you bring up a really good point about kind of the unpredictability of the freelancing business. What would you say there's a decent percent of your clients that are set up on kind of recurring contracts or repeat relationships in addition to this uh, this VA job? One of the things that I sought out to do from the beginning, because I'm the breadwinner, so my husband's a stay-at-home dad, we have these two toddlers, and I quit my job, which was very predictable as far as salary and, you know, great opportunity and bonuses and income growth and all that kind of stuff. Um, to do this freelance thing full time. So I knew I had to take home a certain amount of money and I needed to be able to grow my business. And so when I was looking for clients, especially on the writing side, I was looking for reoccurring right away. So I wanted clients that needed one, two, three blog posts per week rather than a one-off magazine article. And then on the VA side, like I said, that really helped to kind of even it out as well. So I knew here's where I'm at right now. Here's kind of my base going into every month. And then I'm going to do what I can to increase that as I need to. But it's nice because you can fill in the gaps with the one-off stuff too. So if it's a copywriting project, you know, for like a website copy, or if you're doing an ebook for somebody else, so it takes you more time and it's a more valuable project, you can fit that in the schedule of the predictable work, which it's just as important really to have the predictability of the income as it is the workflow. Because I, I think a lot of people get hung up on that, like, okay, when do I plan to write all this stuff? And how do I fit in taking on new clients? Now, I'm surprised to hear you say, uh, hey, I'm, I charge $250 a post. And I also work as a virtual assistant. So what's, you're curious to get your take on 
the virtual assistant terminology or job title and where you see that side of the of your business going in the future? I just took on my third client. I have a higher than average rate, I would say, for that. I started out quoting $35 an hour and then worked myself into a weekly or a monthly retainer with different clients. Virtual assistant work for me, my little niche is working with high-end webpreneurs, so people that have online businesses, and specifically doing customer service, which includes email management, I process refunds. I basically act as like the front line for their business, and they trust me to make decisions on their behalf and to kind of be them, if you will. Okay. Now, I'm not making multi-million dollar decisions or anything like that, but you know, for one client, I have like a $500 or $1,000 limit, so if I want to give somebody a refund that it's questionable or whatever. He has faith that I can process that and it's in the best interest of the business. Okay. So he says, if it's going to cost me less than 500 bucks, you just handle it. Right. Yep. And that's the thing is like their time is more valuable than what they're paying me. So they're getting a return on their investment, but then also it's freeing them up to be able to do more important things, which for many of them is creating, whether it's creating new products or courses, writing material for their own site, training, and so even though I'm a little bit more on the high end as far as a VA, any webpreneur and any VA can make that relationship work. So if a VA is you know, commanding rates of $25 an hour, an entrepreneur only needs to make $40, $50, $100 an hour to make that worth it for them. Sometimes they can make the same amount if they're farming out stuff that really just drags them down energy-wise. But ideally, they'd be making more, billing out more than what they're paying somebody to do tasks. And the reason I ask is because we've kind of been trained to think of a, of a virtual assistant as somebody in India or the Philippines for five bucks an hour. And it's like, okay, right. especially in this case, if you define that niche as you have of who you're going to serve, you can command some premium rates. Yeah. And I think it all comes down to kind of what your experience is, um, your niche, definitely the more expertise that you have, uh, the more high level tasks that you can take on, the more that you can command as well. And the word virtual assistant is interesting. I use it because people somewhat know what it is, but it can encompass so much. So as part of one of the courses that we have, we have literally 125 tasks that you could do as a virtual assistant and get paid for. And it covers everything from design to, you know, managing the back end of a website. Content production can technically go under there. Marketing definitely can go under there. Sales funnels, customer service, email management, like it, the list goes on. Yeah. So although we use the term virtual assistant, it, it does doesn't necessarily mean data entry. With the freelance business, were you at a point where that had equaled the day job income when you quit or you were kind of within striking distance? What, what did that decision look like? Yeah, I had a small practice to sell, which helped me to be able to make a transition, at least mentally. It ended up going towards paying off a debt that we had. So I didn't necessarily need it to kind of live off of. But within six months of looking in a freelance business, I was making $4,000 a month. At my day job, I think I was just shy of like 6000 And so when I quit, I was pretty close. I'd have to bring up my income report, but I feel like I was around five. So about $1,000 a month short from that. Because this is an interesting portion of it too, is now turning around and productizing this in a way or pacifying pacifying this in a way, um, you know, in creating your course and, you know, helping people start this business of their own. Yeah. So you created the course or launched the course at the same time you're quitting your job. How did you, how did you launch that? How did, how did the launch go? Um, well, it was very soft. So I didn't really understand email lists at that time. I had one and there were maybe 
70 people on there, but I don't even know that I did like a promotion to my list. So I started that in May. I actually just published a post today looking back at the results of 2014 versus 2015 and what I felt um, helped me to like 12x my, my traffic during that time. You know, one of the main things you'll hear a lot is consistently putting out valuable content. I definitely think that's one of the things that helped set me apart. Um, But for my first course launch, it was interesting because I didn't really have a huge audience reach or email list. And so it was kind of a soft launch where I put it out there, tried to promote it whenever it was applicable in a non-spammy way. Um, Definitely had some people that took it. I think I had 25 sales in the first month. Then it kind of just grew from there and I have all these numbers somewhere. But to put it in perspective, I launched the second course 11 months later. So the first one was on freelance writing and the second one was on virtual assistants. And I decided to do a beta where I had 25 spots at half price and it sold out in a half hour Wow! from sending it just to my list. And how many were on the list at that time? I feel like 2000-ish. I mean, that was definitely a goal for 2015 was to build an email list. Right now I'm at like 3,500 and it's grown kind of crazy in the last couple of months. So I forget exactly what the numbers are, but having a list helps is the point. Um, But you can also do it without a list and you can do that whole like soft launch thing. And then both of mine are evergreen, so they're available all the time. So I'm constantly looking for ways to market them anyways. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you, whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. And you think that list growth is just a, a byproduct of consistently blogging on your own site? The list growth is a combination of focusing on it and trying some different techniques. So everything from like guest blogging to doing uh, giveaways. Um, one of the most effective things, I think, though, are content upgrades for my posts. So you write a post about a subject and then you develop a freebie, which is kind of twice the work. And then you embed, you know, an opt-in box, download this freebie, which ties into this post and is really valuable in exchange for your email. So that's probably proven to be one of the best strategies recently. And then I also have two free courses now that are associated with my two paid ones. And obviously they have to sign up via their email in order to start that. And then it funnels into the paid one as well. Okay. And these are all on your site versus on Udemy or something like that. Yep. Everything's done through me. This is uh, this is really cool. I like the, the, the content upgrade. Yeah, it's double the work, but probably 10x the return. I'm finally in the habit of it. Um, I don't release every single post with one, but I'm shooting for that. So less posts maybe with more quality. 
but it is, you know, it takes twice as long and then you're writing a newsletter intro. And so it, it's work that you're technically not getting paid for, uh, versus if you were doing it for a client, you know, you'd be getting paid for it. And so you really have to make it a priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't, you know, I think you probably know this really well that within the first six months of blogging, most people quit. It's a lonely, it's a lonely space out there. <laughs> so just consistently putting out content, you know, is one of the keys to success. And being happy with those 70 people. Like, hey, that's 70 people I wasn't talking to, you know, a few months ago. So that's, uh, you know, I'm moving in the right direction. Yeah, it takes time. All of it takes time. And I can attest to the content upgrade strategy. In fact, we'll have a PDF highlight reel for this episode with Gina that you can find at the show notes page with all of the you know awesome tips that she shared. So there's the content upgrade for the podcast, which has really helped grow the business for me. Uh, what what percentage would you say now is coming from client work versus coming from these, um, you know, pre-created passive income assets, these courses and stuff? I believe that it's like half. So for my goals for this year, um, it's definitely to increase the course sale income. I'm actually coming out with a new one, partnering with my friend Carlos. It's called the Course Course, which <laughs> okay. is very catchy. <laughs> We're actually baiting that on March 1st. We'll have 25 spots again available at a reduced price. So that's going to be very fun. Just teaching other people how to, you know, develop a course themselves and launch it, whether or not they have an email list, whether or not they have an idea to start with. The one prerequisite is that you have to have a blog and a website because you have to have some sort of audience. It doesn't have to be huge, but um, it's hard to do everything at one time and you'd probably fail. Um, But income, we went back to that. So probably half from like courses and then half from services. And then my affiliate part is starting to grow. That took forever, but I'm starting to see some results there. What do you mean on the affiliate part? So one of the cool ideas, I always have really fun ideas and (laughs) at least I think they're cool and fun, Um, but I'm pretty good at executing, which is important, right? Like you can have a million ideas, but if you get all distracted by the shiny object syndrome and never bring anything to fruition, it's not going to do much for you. So one of the ideas that I had was, uh, so if I want to promote hosting services, I don't want to be another blog that has a one pager up about how you could get started with XYZ hosting service. Instead, I commissioned my friend Darren, who's smarter than I, especially when it comes to WordPress. That's totally like his bag, his background. He's got the design thing down, right? And he's also a writer, which helps. And we did a step-by-step tutorial called Seven Days or Less to Branded Website Success to help other writers and service professionals launch a branded website in less than a week. You know, you could do it in a day. You could do it in a month. We chose seven days because realistically, if you break it down over the course of one week, it's manageable. The cool thing is, is that it's literally step by step installing WordPress and coming up with like a hire me box icon and changing your menus and different things like that, that people get really hung up on. And then the whole tutorial is also paired with like ship it. You need to ship it. You can't spend two years on this website trying to make it perfect. Let's get the bare essentials up and then, you know, weekly work on one new thing to improve it. And then, of course, hey, here's my recommended host. Right. And so that's part of it. And anybody that buys through that and they have some extra questions, we're fine with giving them some attention as well. Yeah, that's smart. I like it. Trying to lead with value, right? And the, the cool thing is, is I actually had a lot of people go through it that had already have a hosting and they still found a ton of value in it. And I'm, I thought that was great. And so, you know what I did? I made <laughs> the whole course into a content upgrade that they could download at one time via PDF and I could get their email address. I think that's really, really cool to kind of see this path unfold hey from from you know full-time uh employee or worker to a part-time freelancer to kind of full-time freelancer and now this transition 
to the next stage of the business where, you know, now I've kind of have built some authority in this space and I'm able to monetize that through uh, these these courses and, and these other products. So I think that's a really cool way to go. So Gina, I want to say thank you for joining me on uh, the Sign Hustle Show today. And uh, you can check her out at uh, horkyhandbook.com. I love that name. And we'll wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Totally plays into what we've been talking about. And that's just getting started. So start now. Start before you feel like you're ready, whether it's starting a blog, starting a freelance business or online marketing business. Figure it out on the fly. Learn by doing and don't read everything on the internet. But of course, listen to Nick's podcast. Very cool. Thank you so much. We'll catch up with you soon. Appreciate it. All right. What do you think? You got some marketing ideas you can run with from this episode? You guys excited to start building your own personal brand? Now, I apologize for some of the uh, background noise that's going on on that call. I tried to clean it up in post-production and couldn't get rid of all of it. So apologize for that. Now, what I did like was Gina's call uh, to learn as you go, because I think that's a, a universal skill and almost, almost nothing I do on a day-to-day basis has anything to do with the stuff I learned in school, but you know, I figured it out and I'm, and I'm still figuring it out, um, you know, each day as I go along. And so biggest takeaways for me from this call, you know, going where your customers already are. I know that's a big recurring theme on the show. Um, and in this case, in Gina's case, it was those freelance job boards to kind of get, the, get those initial gigs and kind of get the confidence to, uh, to make these pitches and, and then go from there. Um, number two would be, you know, pitch, people or companies you know have an ongoing need for your service. So she talked about specifically reaching out to startups and specifically in the finance space, where it's like, hey, they understand the value of content marketing and hey, look, I can take care of that for you on an ongoing basis. You can't just do one post and be done with it. It's going to need constant uh, constant updating, constant support. And then number three, uh, just document your adventure. Like, I don't know if Gina intended to become an expert and an authority in freelance writing, um, and of course, she used she definitely used her freelance or her writing skills rather to do uh, to do just that. But it's opened up a completely new side of her business that can scale disproportionately to the hours she puts in. So really excited for that. I think that's a, a very cool angle that she's um, that she's been able to do that and approach it from a, a very transparent and an honest way. So. As is per the usual, we talked about content upgrades during the show. You can, of course, download a free PDF highlight reel with all of Gina's top tips and takeaways from this call at sidehustlenation.com slash Gina or through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. So stay tuned next week to learn about a popular side hustle we've never covered on the show before, something you can do part-time and actually work with some of your favorite brands in the process. So thank you guys so much for listening. Until next time, let's go out there, make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to The Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 